John 2, 23 through to John 3, 21. And that can be found on your Pew Bibles, page 1,512. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish, Jewish ruling castle, council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing in, if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light 
and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Brad. Good morning. Uh, let, me, let me lead us in prayer. Uh, dear Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity we have here to gather uh, under your word, in your word, uh, and uh, in your son, Jesus. Uh, please grow us in our dependence on him and uh, grow us in our love for him uh, as we spend more time with him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, today I want to speak with you about belief and unbelief. Uh, particularly, what does it take to go from unbelief to belief? Uh, how do you move from no dependence, no faith, no trust in Jesus to fully trusting, fully depending, fully believing in Jesus? Uh, just, just to make this concrete for you, Mark mentioned uh, those cards before and praying for a, a name uh, of someone you know uh, I, you may not have thought who you're praying for this year in particular, but uh, I'm sure you've probably got one name that you can think of in your mind, bring to mind that, uh, that person's name. Uh, what would it take for that person you're thinking of to move from no dependence in Jesus to full dependence in Jesus, on Jesus, full trust in Jesus? What, what do you reckon that, what would it take for that person to move? Uh, would it take more knowledge? Do they just need to hear the gospel? Do they just need to, do, do they need to understand how good Jesus is? Uh, they need more Christian friends around them, some more people who are going to spend time with them and, and show them by the witness of their life what it is to know Jesus. There's a more experience of the Christian hope in hard times. Would that persuade them to go from unbelief to belief, or more exposure to the emptiness of the world's values, hopes, dreams. What do you reckon it would take to move that person from unbelief to belief? Now, just as we get into the Gospel of John, uh, last week we saw the amazing introduction of the book of John, uh, and uh, this week I wanted to start from the other end of the Gospel of John, from the end of the Gospel of John. Uh, and, and we're going to start with the purpose of this book. So I want you just to flip in your uh, Bibles back to John 20, verse 30. And it's here that we see uh, the uh, purpose statement of uh, the book of John. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 30. You see it there? So this is starting from the other end of the Gospel of John. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 30 says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's what John's seeking to do. 
as he, uh, as he brings about, writes this, composes this gospel of Jesus Christ. And so his purpose is belief. And so our question is, well, okay, so that's the purpose. How do you get there? How do you move from unbelief to belief? Uh, so today, as we reorient ourselves with this gospel of John, uh, uh, that's what I want to pick up. Uh, and we're going to spend some time with Jesus and with Nicodemus uh, delving into this issue, this movement from unbelief to belief. The first point I want to make is this. Uh, the shift from unbelief to belief does not begin with the goodness or the initiative or the capability of humans. Uh, you can tell that by what Jesus says about humanity. Uh, now, this might surprise you, but I'm pretty sure Jesus would never say to us, I believe in you. Uh, Jesus has a very different belief of humanity. Have a look at, uh, we're back at chapter 2 that Brad read for us. Uh, chapter 2, verse 23, this is what Jesus says. Uh, now, while he was in uh, Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Now remember, trust is the same word for belief in the New Testament, uh, and Jesus would not entrust himself uh, to mankind, for he knew what was in a man. And Jesus doesn't trust humanity, it's not that he doesn't value humanity. Jesus values you greatly. But it's because he knows you. He knows us. He knows what's in us. He knows what's in our heart. Verse 25, he did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. In order for us to know Jesus, we need to hear testimony about him. Uh, but Jesus is, is different. In order to know us, he needs no testimony. He already knows. And there is evidence in the book of John that Jesus is absolutely right. For example, uh, 6.15, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. Uh, have a look at uh, what Jesus' knowledge about humanity led him to do. 6.14, uh, it's not the thing you would imagine him to do. He's fed the 5,000. Uh, 6.14, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And Jesus knows what we are like. He knows what we want. And so he doesn't entrust himself to our whims, our wants, uh, Jesus' mum. In fact, this was the very first miracle in the book of John. In chapter 2, uh, Jesus' first miracle or sign, uh, his mum tried to get him to use his uh, miraculous powers to sort out a problem at a wedding, the problem being not enough wine. It seemed that Jesus honoured his mum in this instance and performed the first miracle. Later, his disciples, uh, like his mum, misunderstood Jesus' timing and they were playing by human rules. Uh, just after that last incident I referred to, chapter 7, verse 2. Um, uh, but uh, when, uh, ch chapter 7, verse 2, but when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee, 
Go to Judea so that your disciples may see the works you do. No one who wants to be a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, my time is not yet here, for you any time will do. Even Jesus' disciples, those who spent the most time with him in his public ministry, they didn't understand Jesus. They didn't want the best for Jesus. They too were unbelievers at this stage. So, so we see whilst Jesus knows humanity, he doesn't entrust himself to us. He knows what we need and he brings it. Uh, he knows the kind of king he needs to be. He knows uh, uh, what he must do and he does it. He suffers and dies for his people. It's funny, um, I was very excited this week. Um, the test on Prime came out. Uh, the, the, uh, if you're into test cricket, uh, a, a kind of a close-up documentary of the Australian cricket team. Uh, and uh, as you watch this and other documentaries like it, you hear a lot of people saying things like, a lot of sports people saying, you've just got to trust yourself. You've got to believe in yourself. In the language of the New Testament, the word believe is the same word for dependence and trust. So at that point in, in New Testament language, we're saying that you have to uh, depend on yourself. You have to trust yourself. Or we trust in you. We're depending on you. As you listen to Jesus' words, you think that's a tall order to trust in ourselves. Saying you have to believe in yourself reflects a very positive view of humanity and our capabilities. Very possible, a positive view of the trustworthiness of humanity. Of course, there are some convinced that humans are fundamentally good. You do a quick Google search on humans are good and you find newspapers lining up to speak to the goodness of humanity. Uh, this one from Huffington Post, humans are good because humans are able to make friends, be empathetic and recover from tragedy. Now, each of those things are, are good and true. Uh, though I'm not sure they prove humans are good. Perhaps they speak more to a designer who is good. Perhaps they speak more to us being created in his image. But surely there's times we recognise that we can't trust ourselves, aren't there? Surely we know that we are not always dependable. And saying to yourself, I've got to believe in myself, just sounds a bit hollow and a bit optimistic. Now we'll come back to that later, but let me just say this for now. It's a good thing that Jesus knew us and didn't entrust himself to us. If he did, humanity wouldn't have the offer of rescue on the table that Jesus presents. There would remain no way to move from unbelief to belief had he entrusted himself to us. So you might get initially offended that Jesus knows you and doesn't entrust himself to you, but as a result, you have so much to benefit from that, uh, that lack of trust in humanity, his knowledge of humanity. For in his lack of trust in humanity results in him being the rescuer of humanity, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And so, friends, that's the first thing to say. The shift from unbelief to belief does not begin with the goodness of humanity or the capability or the capacity of humanity. Jesus knew humanity and didn't entrust himself to us, but rather he acted to save humanity. Uh, Now, secondly, in Nicodemus, uh, we get a picture of, at this stage, unbelief, uh, setting Jesus up for the answer of what it takes to move from unbelief to belief. So let's meet Nicodemus. So we're back in John chapter 3, verse 1. Have you got it there? John chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, Here is our picture of, at this stage, unbelief. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who is a member of the Jewish ruling council. Uh, So this guy in this world is a master of the universe. Uh, He's a ruler. He's a religious heavyweight. Uh, If Jesus could somehow bring him onto the speaking circuit with himself, that would be a real coup. uh, because Pharisees, religious heavyweights, uh, who, who are fans of Jesus, are few and far between. Uh, and perhaps that's why Nicodemus is skulking around at night to see Jesus, uh, for fear of the other religious heavyweights. Verse 2 tells us that uh, uh, when Nicodemus comes to see Jesus, um, uh, uh, we get to hear more of what he thinks of Jesus. Uh, I think Nicodemus is an unbeliever because of what he says here. Have a look at what he says in verse 2. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, as most able politicians, Nicodemus is painting in shades of grey here. Uh, does he perform the, does he believe the signs that Jesus performs that Jesus is actually God? Well, no, he doesn't say that, does he? Uh, what about John's testimony about Jesus? Uh, does Nicodemus believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Well, no, he believes that Jesus is a teacher from God, not a prophet, and most certainly not from the Father's side, but he's a teacher. You see, Nicodemus has has painted a pretty grey picture of Jesus. There's not a a lot of black and white here in Nicodemus' words. And then Jesus goes about unwrapping Nicodemus' unbelief. Listen to what Jesus says about belief. Verse 3, Jesus replied, Very true, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. See, Jesus says, in order to become part of the kingdom, you have to be born again. Or in the NIV footnotes there, be born from above. It is a process that involves God's spirit. Jesus says, if you want to be part of my kingdom, that will only happen by the powerful working of God's spirit. In other words, Nicodemus, you are not in control of this process. It is a work of God. Just like the wind blowing where it does, 
the Spirit works where the Spirit works. In some ways, I think we're a lot like Nicodemus. We think we're kind of in control of the process. Uh, See, if I was to ask you, how do you become a Christian? I think you'd say something like, uh, we'd say something like, well, you recognize your sin, your need for God, you believe in him. And that is, you believe in Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and trusting in his death and resurrection, you have certainty of eternal life. We'd say something like that, wouldn't we? Now, that's all true. But that's not what Jesus focuses on here, is it? How do you recognize your sin? Well, you can only recognize your sin through the working of God's Spirit. How do you arrive at trust in Jesus? Well, you can only arrive at trust in in Jesus by the work of God's Spirit. How do you receive that assurance of eternal life? Well, there again, that is the work of God in his Holy Spirit. We will see this more clearly as we, as we go through chapter 16 a little bit later in term one. But just to, to ground this in us for our, our, our prayers for 2023, uh, as Mark uh, mentioned, those names that we're praying for in 2023, this is a fact. Not one of those names that you are praying for is going to become a Christian without the working of God's Spirit. We're not in control of that process. When we struggle to remember, to pray for people, coming to know Jesus, I wonder whether we've just become a bit like Nicodemus, forgetting God's crucial work by his spirit in people's hearts. See, if we're convinced of Jesus' words here, of how someone becomes a Christian through the work of God's spirit, we'll be on our knees praying for these people that we love. You see, Nicodemus was progressively becoming more and more lost through this discussion. In the end, Jesus was questioning what Nicodemus said he believed right at verse 2. See, see, uh, pick it up with me at chapter, uh, sorry, verse 10. Uh, You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? There's no evidence here that Nicodemus has moved forward in his belief. Nicodemus is still in unbelief. All is not lost. A bit later in John in chapter 7, Nicodemus is there advocating for Jesus. And then right towards the end of uh, the Gospel of John in uh, in John 19 verse 39, after Jesus' death, Nicodemus is there carrying 30 kilos of burial spices to dress the body. Uh, I I think we've got good reason to, to hope for Nicodemus that he might have moved from unbelief to belief. But it doesn't happen in this conversation, does it? So the picture we have here is of an unbeliever. Uh, Jesus was not a believer in humanity because he knew humanity and Nicodemus was not a believer in Jesus. He wasn't convinced of God's work or how God worked. Both come together in this final section of John 3. So having seen unbelief, I want us to have a look at belief here. Starting global, going personal. Uh, God could have done globally two things. And you see that in that very famous verse, John 3.16, and the verse that comes after it. The verse that comes after it shows us that God could have sent Jesus just to be the judge, not the saviour. 
Just to send Jesus as the judge of humanity. That would have been, been entirely right. Have a look at it with me. Uh, John 3.16 and then 17. Uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See the other option, verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So God chose not to give humanity what we deserve yet, but to work by his Son through his Spirit to bring people to belief in Jesus. God will still hand down the guilty verdict, but just not yet. Not until people have had a chance to respond to recognize Jesus as King. So that's what's happening globally. Let me make this more personal. Uh, because God will deal with us not as humanity. He will not deal with us by our gender, by our family ties, but as individuals. Have a look at verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who hates evil... Uh, sorry, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. There are two very clear options here and there is no fence to sit on. There's no fence in sight. Jesus came as light. If the world was good, light would be unrecognisable. As we remember from chapter 1, that great introduction to the book of John, the tragedy of the incarnation, the light came into the world and the darkness did not recognise it. Humanity isn't at its heart good or right or okay. We've all sinned. Sin reigns. See, darkness already reigns. The need of the world is already established. Then Jesus comes. And John explains why those who are in the darkness will actually choose to stay there. Some. See, the hatred of the light in the fallen heart is generated by a revulsion of being exposed by the light. Everyone who does evil will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Now, the other side of the fence is this. Whoever lives by the truth, that is, does the truth, He's willing to have his deeds exposed, not to parade his own righteousness, but to allow Jesus, who is the light, to do truth through him. Believing that Jesus is the rescuer, believing, that Jesus, believing in his death and resurrection, believing that he is the light of the world, actually involved change, involves changed life. Living by the truth, allowing Jesus to challenge us and shape us by the work of his Holy Spirit. Now, all of our hearts are a work in process, progress uh, because of all, our, all of our hearts are naturally inclined to evil, not good. And that's why Jesus, the light of the world, needed to come. Uh, Barry read that great verse out from Ezekiel before, Ezekiel 36. This is exactly what was promised in the prophets. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will clean you from all your impurities and from, from all your idols. I'll put a new heart. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Friends, as you walk in the light, 
You are part of the people that God promised in the Old Testament. Let me conclude. When we think of people moving from unbelief to belief, we too quickly think of the human mechanisms by which that happens. You know, us having really good conversations with people, good answers to questions, good apologetics, good relationships. Now, there's no denying that God uses each of those things to move people from unbelief to belief. But if we really believe the words of Jesus here, we remember that the move from unbelief to belief involves a massive, supernatural, spiritual work of God. Nothing eternally significant happens without that. So if you believe that, what do you do? Well, you beg for God's help, his mercy. You asked God to do what he loves doing, what he's done in you, showing mercy, showing his eternal kindness, moving you from unbelief to belief. That's where it begins. And so, friends, can I commend this process of choosing, making Christ known names this year? And I, can I commend your prayers for each of those names, recognizing that nothing will happen if God does not work by his spirit. There's only one thing that I must do now, right? Pray, okay? Let's pray together. Uh, Holy Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for sending Jesus, the light of the world, into the world. And we recognize the natural state of our hearts, the hearts of those around us. And so we pray, please keep changing us by the powerful working of your spirit so that we continue to be yours and reflect something more of your light and life to those around us, that more might receive your mercy. Please, by your spirit, work in their hearts and move them towards belief. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.